was kind of like, choo, choo, you know. Probably put my foot in my mouth for saying this, but it's not as much outcome-oriented as process-oriented, and that's what we're trying to do and build. Again, try to create a foundation, a culture, where we've got players that are tough-minded, that are selfless, they're going to go out there working hard every day, and they're going to compete their ass off. Like, that's what we're trying to do, okay? How does that manifest itself on the field on Sunday? Again, that's going to be about execution and how we play. Basically, with those three preseason games that we had, uh, with the way we practiced the first, those two days that we had last week, uh, I felt like it was more important for us to to uh, bond a little bit more before we got out of here and then came back today. Uh, I didn't know when I when I decided to tell them to do that, they actually clapped for me, which is the first time they've done that since I've been here. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles, and it's finally game week, and perhaps what seems like the longest off-season ever. We've actually got a game to preview as the Texans welcome the Jacksonville Jaguars with Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, everybody in tow and a few familiar faces in the backfield. But this week, I'm joined to get ready for this one from the fan side, the host of Just Saying It on Sports Map Radio, Mr. Cole Thompson. Cole, how you doing? Good, good, man. Love, uh, love the fact that I'm on a British podcast. Uh, definitely nothing that I've ever been a part of, but I love going across the lake and uh, I'm excited to hear what you guys got to talk Looking forward to this game. I mean, you have anybody probably know the Jacksonville Jaguars a little bit better just because of how much they play across the pond. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've only seen, I've only ever seen them once in the flesh uh, in the Texans game at Wembley. But um, yeah, I think it's it's kind of been a strange off season in many ways. Um, you, I mean, you were one of the, the bodies at training camp as part of the media. Did you have any observations or anything you've seen? that you've kind of kept a note of and things you think are worth following that might, you know, you know, we might kind of see show up on the field at some point. You know, the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to this year is figuring out who are the long-term Texans, who are going to be here past 2021. You got to remember that a lot of these guys that Nick Casario signed this offseason, they were added on one-year contracts, a lot of prove-it-year deals, years to where you can find out where do they fit in our system? Are they going to be special core special teamers? Are they going to be first stringers on defense? Are they going to be big impact players for the long term? Or are these guys as players who we're trying to fill roster spots with? Those are things that I'm really looking forward to. They made a couple of really good under-the-radar signings like Philip Lindsay and Desmond King, and they're going into a contract here with Justin Reed, and they have to figure out what to do with Charles Amenahue and th- those little things. They had a pretty decent draft class overall from what I've seen from players. Davis Mills, I see the future of the organization at quarterback. Nico Collins, can he be that new number one wide receiver? Garrett Wallow, can he be a nice thumper along with the cover space guy that will be Zach Cunningham, who signed a four-year deal last offseason? Those I'm really looking forward to seeing. Who are part of the long-term Texans deals? There's a lot of guys here who could be here for the short term. There's a lot of guys here who could be here for the very long while to help this rebuild kind of start off on the right note. That, I think, is the biggest thing that you have to look forward to going into this season because of anyone out there, biased, unbiased or not, Houston may be better than what people are projecting, but that doesn't mean they're right into that co- that playoff conversation just yet. And I'm not sure that they're ever going to get to that level. Yeah, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Because you think you've we're in a probably a reset mode before we rebuild, and you want to find players that can you know you can take on the next phase of that rebuild. But I I, I found myself, and I think I'm not alone in that. Um, probably watching more college football and watching more highlights um, than I've probably ever done week one. 
um, because I think, you know, there is, albeit you're excited for the season, um, but I think everybody wants to have one eye on on the future as well, which is a strange position to be in because we've not been in. So how do you sort of reflect on that kind of with one eye ahead? And then also, what did you, did you have any takeaways from the, from the opening weekend of college football? So I think right now you got to look with one eye ahead because if that's what this team basically is. I think that there's two teams out there that are one eye ahead in the future. Everyone else kind of preparing for the present and the one is the Detroit Lions. I think that they've come out and said multiple times they are here for the rebuild. This is going to be a rebuilding year. It's about finding the players that we think fit our system for the long term. That was why the Ford family gave both Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes six-year contracts to be a part of this long-term rebuild. They're going to give them time. They're going to give them years to figure this out. You may not have the same thing with David Culley. He may be here for one year. He may be here for six years. It's all based off him. It's all based off Nick Casario, ownership, what they want to do. And then my college football this upcoming season, you know, what I took away from week one is if you are a team needing a quarterback, if you are a team looking to find your next franchise guy, you may have one in Deshaun Watson, but it is going to cost you a pretty penny. I walked away looking at Sam Howell, looking at uh, 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 Spencer Rattler, looking at Carson Strong, other players sitting out here going, here's the deal. I like them. I them number one pick. I do not like them as a top 10 pick. And I do not feel comfortable starting them all of 2022. But that means I do feel comfortable going out and spending that top tier money to get a solidified top five quarterback like Deshaun Watson on the open market. Right now, the report is that Nick Casario wants three first round picks, two mid round picks and a proven player. I think that if you see another bad week of football from these quote unquote elite guys who are going to be the next big time superstars at the quarterback position, that's going to be actually a bargain price with also his four-year $156 million contract actually seeming a lot lower than what some of these guys like Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield are about to get. Yeah, and I think so. It probably solidified the opinion that, well, I probably had for a while. And I, I don't think any of these, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think Sam Howell underperformed where people thought he was going to be. I think maybe guys like Matt Corral overperformed. Um, but then I suppose at the same time, there was probably some plays that guys like Derek Stingley and LSU struggling program right now. Um, got that still got the hangover from the national championship and probably the number one edge rusher, um, if not the number two defensive player overall. And uh, and Thibodeau um, comes up and he's got a walking boot on on the side of it and gets rolled up on. So you know a lot can change. Um, but I think it was it was it was probably interesting. I think Texans kind of Twitter and all this kind of stuff and a lot of people have very much got an eye on on that. Um, but I suppose that's the that's the fun in the in the hard times, right? You you've got you've got the kind of draft and the premium capital to go and find players. I think what's actually kind of fun about this is that you get to now look ahead. You get to look at what players you want where. What are some graphics that you can look at? Where are we in directions? What are some areas that we really need to improve? And you look at the draft because of when you look at what potentially is going to happen when Deshaun Watson, if and when, is traded, they're still going to get a couple first-round picks for him. They may not get four first-round picks like some people are saying. They may not get six first-round picks, but they still should get one or two. And if they go to a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, who have two first-round picks solidified already in 2022, that would give you three first-round picks. That would allow you to kind of dissect who fits where. What can we do at this draft spot? Where are some players that we think are going to be able to rise up? Where are some players we think are going to slide? And you see it every year in the NFL draft. I mean, there's guys who I had grades with top 15 selections that fell all the way to the fourth round. I, I remember looking at the start of last season, giving Sean Wade out of Ohio State a top 15 grade. And then by the season's end, I grade him out as a seventh round. How far he fell in coverage. 
So you got to look at all those things. There's always going to be risers. There's always going to be fallers. And with a team like the Texans, you want to be able to get the best bang for your buck and maybe a down year could actually be a breakout year in a rookie campaign. And they fall to them in say rounds two or three, which then looks like a really good bargain deal. Yeah, and I suppose we're probably due some luck in a sense in, in terms of getting you know getting those picks. But also if the if the projections of these guys at college aren't aren't where it needs to be, then I think that as you said helps with the the Deshaun value and helps us you know cement some kind of future building blocks if we if we can get there. Um, I thought it was interesting last week. Casario kind of touched upon that and probably what was his most kind of open and probably transparent you know time with the media. He's been you know very regular with the media in comparison to somebody like Rick Smith. Um, who you know spoke just on the ma- the mandatory times a year to the media, but he came out with a couple of quotes, and I thought it was quite interesting. He talked about you know that here and now being process orientated, and he also talked about you know being flexible about signing players, um, and he also talked about you know and for the first time kind of admitted or hinted at about the cap space situation inherited and wasn't necessarily ideal. Kind of made a joke around being forty out of thirty two in terms of dead cap money and. So it was quite a revealing interview, I think, or he certainly seems to be more comfortable in front of the media, I think, now that he's kind of got his feet under the table and gone through some of the, you know, he's gone through the draft, gone through free agency, now gone through training camp. So what do you, how do you assess Casario's job and 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 what do you think of the key things c- coming up from? Because I, I, I go back to the point, you know, constantly, and I keep, it keeps rolling around in my head all the time. I think you could get all these picks, but you got to hit with them. And that's where his job and that's where he'll be judged. Because I think everything now is just kind of a tee up you know, the basic groundwork that he's laid for, you know, for future seasons. Well, I think right now anybody who's already judging that Casario is a bad GM with, you know, a week of play having even started is automatically a little crazy. You don't really know what a, a person is, what an executive is based on what they do in free agency. You see how that production field. So if say the Houston Texans are projected to finish with a three and 14 record and they finish with a seven and a 10 record or a seven and 11 record, he outdid his performance by double the fold. And maybe that does hurt them in the draft capital because if they're still going to be a team that isn't good enough to contend with, say, the 11th pick when they would be able to probably get something with the first or the second pick. But it does show growth and development with some of these guys that he added in free agency that some people were calling a miscue, were calling a misfire, were calling, you know, kind of controversial at the time. So those are things you got to look at. But you can tell right now that Casario has one of the biggest problems ahead because the one thing that the Houston had was a franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Casario comes on, Watson wants out. Now we're in a convoluted situation where we don't know where Watson's going to go, what the asking price is going to be due to his current lawsuit predicament going on right now here in Houston, Texas. There's a lot of different questions that you have with that. So Casario has a big uphill battle to climb, but it's nice to see that he is buying into the culture. People are buying into what he has to say. People are actually listening. They believe that he is trending in the right direction. And when you have that backing support from ownership and more importantly from players, it becomes a lot easier. Players are willing to tell other players, you should come sign here. You should come join this team. Maybe you're in a contract year or maybe you're trying to go ahead and trade for somebody. The biggest thing that Casario said was he is not afraid to give up late round picks to get immediate contributors that will help this team improve week in and week out. So that's going to be something to keep a close eye on for. And if he's able to maybe get a guy who is underachieving but has two years left on his contract, like today, they were able to go sign Jimmy Moreland from the yeah. Washington football team. That was a great key addition for special teams, a great depth piece that can probably play the perimeter, really can play well in the nickel, especially for week one if they have to play Desmond King outside because Bradley yeah, Roby yeah. is going to be suspended. So that's actually a really good signing. And they didn't have to give up anything from that. Casario is always scheming and looking ahead. So I think it's a little too soon to say he had a bad offseason. It's just to say 
his offseason was very convoluted because you don't see many teams sign 46 new players left and right and over you know three quarters of them be on one-year deals i believe yeah. actually only two or three players are signed past 2021 who were signed this past offseason so those are all things that are going to be very interesting to see what houston does especially going into next season yeah well that's i think it's a strange roster composition and i suppose that feeds into some expectations you've got kind of upteen players on one-year deals right now um, of the of the 53 cuts, and I know this year is different in Casario talked about that, but using the practice squad, utilizing that, you're able to let guys go who you don't think necessarily have a big you know an attainment level on the market. You bring them back and the practice squad's a lot more fluid, extended to 16 IRs now three weeks this year. So there's a lot of fluidity about the roster. You mentioned that they picked up Jimmy Moreland over 500 snaps in the slot for, for Washington. And what was a good defense? I wouldn't necessarily hold it against them for not you know, for not having a longer term future. He was injured, apparently he's now healthy. Um, and then there's something like Cravian Blanc as well. He was a fan favourite in, uh, in Philadelphia. So he kind of comes in. Again, one of these guys is probably borderline, not quite good enough to, to play, but can, you know, be a spot filler for you. So you'll keep churning that roster. Of the 53 and of the practice score, was there any kind of shocks for you based on your observation at training camp? Was there any guys that faded or kind of, th you know, things that you were surprised that obviously Kiki being the big one, but... Um, was there any kind of stuff you were surprised at in terms of, you know, how they, how they manage the 53 in the practice squad? Well, what I can say is that I at least applaud Nick Casario for swinging and missing and actually trying to get something value back with Shaq Lawson. Shaq ended yeah. up being one of the biggest names of the offseason. I thought it was going to be a tremendous value. You look at what Bernard McKinney was, and he only really fit that 3-4 style defense as that thumper Mike backer role. Doesn't fit the new 4-3, not going to be able to play a two-gap system. So you go trade him by adding in a name like Lawson, who better fits a 4-3 approach. Had two great years, or really good years in his last two seasons with the Buffalo Bills, when they switched over from 3-4 to a 4-3 underneath Sean, uh, Sean McDermott. So those are some things you got to look at. But he was actually falling deeper, deeper and deeper and deeper down the depth chart. Originally started out with the, working with the ones, really started with threes, and actually probably was the most inconsistent pass rusher. So for them to be able to get anything back for him and free themselves up with part of his contract, they're still going to take a $7.5 million cap hit this year because of that was what was already signed on the deal when they did, went and restructured his contract. But for them to be able to get some money back for the long not keep a player on their you know on their roster through 2024 that was a really good thing but i will say keeping five running backs is a very strange analogy when you really think about it usually have active maybe four and the only reason you have the fourth one active is for special team usage and that's where you kind of th i thought that you were going to use when you brought in rex burkhead he was going to take over that buddy howell role who has been on this active roster as that special teams contributor but then you keep Scotty Phillips, who did have a fantastic preseason. I mean, of all the running backs, he was the most consistent. Made a lot of good plays, made a lot of good decisions between the trenches, was able to show a little bit of that straight line speed. So it's good to keep him, but then why do you keep Burkhead? Why do you then keep David Johnson? Why do you keep these players who even take a salary cap hit with some of them, you don't need five running backs, especially when you only have five wide receivers on the roster, which you kind of alluded to with QT. I thought for sure by now they would have already added that fifth, that sixth wide receiver. Just keep in mind, Andre Roberts, he's not going to be used in the passing game. He is used for one thing, kickoffs and kickoffs alone. So that is his role. The good news is, is that Anthony Miller is coming back. He has practiced this week, so he could be game eligible, which could help out immensely in the slot, which then would make a lot of sense of why you didn't keep QT. But five running backs is a really strange combo, you know, is a really strange conversation to have. And how do you go ahead and dissect 
which one is active, which one is inactive. And if they are one of the ones who's inactive, like a Rex Burkhead, why did you keep him in the first place? Because if he's only here on a one-year deal, why did you keep Scotty Phillips if he's only here on a one-year deal? Why are you going to keep, if it's David Johnson, why are you trying not to trade him? Why are you trying not to get some back? for him. So those are my big key takeaways. Credit to Casario for swinging and missing and you know saying I messed up by going out and getting some type of value back for Lawson. Don't really understand the QT one for sure, but I also don't understand why keep five running backs if you know maybe two are going to be inactive on the 46-man roster, which is set on Sundays. Yeah, I think so. It's just, he, he continues to churn it, and I think he'll continue to do that as well, I think, and we'll, we'll, we'll see who who comes out on the on the active uh, 46 players um, on Sunday. We'll come on to that. Just uh, just briefly, we're not really touched on David Cully. I watched his media availability yesterday, and like it, he's too honest. He's too much of a salt-of-the-earth nice guy. He's hated lying off through this off-season about the Watson situation. You can see it. It, it eats at him. Um, but sometimes he's too honest, and he says some things that I think maybe expose him or maybe expose the type of job he's in, which, similarly to Cassetti, was a bit unorthodox in terms of the traditional role specs of it. And he's very much here just as a, as a head kind of football, you know, almost consultant in some ways. I think the coaches are firmly left to, to get on with it, and which we've seen benefits from early. Um, in terms of organisation, in terms of players talking about being coach fundamentals. But he was asked a question about Trevor Lawrence and he kind of basically said he hadn't watched too much of him. Um, you know, and I thought that was quite strange. Um, you know, even if you hadn't, you'd probably be better given an answer to the media that, you know, would suggest that you're informed and prepared less than a week to go. Um, and he also made a strange comment as well about what you saw in the pre-season is kind of what you'll get from this team, um, which I also thought was a bit strange. So... I don't know if he's just too honest or he's maybe just kind of still not, you know, great in front of the media, but what did you think of the comments like that? And what do you think of Cully generally? So David Cully feels like that old sweet grandfather that wants to give wise wisdom to his grandchildren, sitting on a back porch, sipping a nice old glass of sweet tea, good old Tennessee boy himself. And in the South, I mean, growing up in the South, you were raised with yes, sir, no ma'am, honesty is key. In the NFL, honesty is a weakness. It is a giant weakness for teams that are trying to figure out what the plan is every single week. And it gives away a bit of information when you are too honest. So saying I haven't watched Trevor Lawrence is not a good look for a team that was getting turnovers left and right against team defenses. I mean, second team offenses against third team offenses. That is not the case that you're going to be seeing on September 12th when Trevor Lawrence takes the field. And Jacksonville, they have their problems on the offensive line. They have a few questions at the wide receiver position. They have a few questions in the running back room. But that is a first-team offense, and you would see a lot of these guys be on either first or low and high-end second-team offenses on a different roster. That's a reason they are on the first team right now. So I look at that and I go, that's a little bit too much to say you have not watched Trevor Lawrence. And even if you haven't watched Trevor Lawrence in preseason, you've at least watched him in college. You've seen his tapes somewhere around because of you have to watch Trevor Lawrence because of when you are a team like the Baltimore Ravens, you want to add a wide receiver every single year because if you have strode at the wide receiver position and that's where he was, who was the quarterback the last two years at Clemson? Trevor Lawrence. So you at least have seen Trevor Lawrence play some bit during his college time. So you know for a fact he is at least a name on the rise. Those are some things that I think are kind of concerning. I look at David Culley. I understand where he is 
coming from. He is a salt of the earth type of person. He is easy to talk to. He always has a smile on his face. And the biggest thing is he knows that he is in trouble this year. This is a team that is not going places. This is a team that is hated universally around the NFL as one of the last place loser clubs. Yet he does not let it define him. He does not let it come and bother him. He comes out every single day and keeps that mentality that you want from a head coach. But that doesn't mean that that's always exactly what you're going to get back in return. And that's something that I do have to be concerned about. And you can tell every single time that Deshaun Watson question is asked. He's basically being told by people up top, this is what you're allowed to say. This is what you're going to say. Do not say anything else. And that is unfortunately one of the biggest reasons why we still have questions of Cully, the Texans, and more importantly, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I think he's he, he tries his best, and I think he's a good guy, like you said, and I think it's, it, it's tough for him. Um, he's kind of get, he, he's kind of given some stuff away as well, and I think it's something to watch is the health of Laramie Tunsil, because I think if you remember last year, sort of Thanksgiving onwards, he missed the game against New England, Tunsil, with, a, with uh, some kind of flu-like symptoms. Um, and I remember then the media availability said, whatever it was, I don't want it again. Um his play kind of tailed off. I think maybe that was part of the position the team were in there, but he certainly didn't play this as well in the second half of the season as he did in the first. And Cully's mentioned that a couple of times um, outwardly to the media that he's still trying to work his way back health-wise. Um, you've also got him and Charlie Heck. Um, when they've moved a lot of pieces around the line to Charlie Heck, then gets flagged for a close contact. He may well return to practice on Wednesday, but what do you make of the health and the status of those two guys? In a position group, we probably can't, afford to have uh, to have any guys missing considering the changes we've had and they've not really worked out um so far because you know just just by chance you you move uh, you, you move Titus onto the left guard to try and solidify a left line but then Howard misses time and and or, or sorry Tunsil misses time in training camp so they've not had the reps on the left hand side they want to and then you've got obviously heck out on the right which big questions about him and I think there's legitimate questions there um, and he's he potentially misses you know uh, week one uh, reps with, with the first team. So yeah, it's it's probably a point of concern having both those guys kind of questionable at this stage. Yeah, it's questionable, but I will say that I think uh, uh, Tunsil has a better shot of returning than Heck. Heck, the biggest thing with him is he is vaccinated, which is good. But as long as he continues to test positive, he cannot return up to forty eight hours. So he has to have two negative tests before he can return to practice. We'll know more about that tomorrow on his status for week one. But what's interesting is that Marcus Cannon, the new addition that was added from the New England Patriots, is currently listed as the starting right tackle for the team. So that is kind of a question and concern. He has been missing the entire preseason. He doesn't really understand the offense, but he does understand Nick Casario and what he is looking forward to. If they're running a similar style to what they did in New England, he should fit in right away at the right tackle spot because he just played his last five years at right tackle during his time in New England. So those are some things that you got to look at on paper and maybe say that that's a good thing. If he is able to go, then you're going to a former third round on Christian Sr. who played some left tackle, better swing guard, better a swing player, probably used uh, as that last, line of the, uh, that last line of the offense. You want him just there. You don't want him on the field if possible. Just filling in a nice gap kind of consideration player, nothing more, nothing less. That's kind of his best role, I think, when you break it all down. So it's going to be interesting to say the least. I, I find it really fun that Titus Howard, a guy who has been successful, maybe not to an elite level, but at least a stable level on the right side, 
is not moving back to right tackle right now. They are electing to keep him at guard. They are electing to keep him as the interior blocker. And that maybe says a lot about their guard situation more than it does about their tackle situation. Maybe they feel more comfortable with the likes of Marcus Cannon, who's missed some time, going to right tackle rather than have him playing at guard. And you got to look at the situation that you have at hand on this 4-3 defense that Jacksonville is running. They do have two very stable pass rushers. It's still unknown if Josh Allen will play. But they have Josh Allen and Caleb on chase on coming in through that interior gap. That's going to be probably closing on on the run more than the past than ever. So if this is going to be a run heavy offense run by, uh, run by Cully, they're going to run a lot through the A gap. They're going to run a lot through the B gap. They're going to be trying to get those counter plays. They're going to be trying to get those, you know, uh, those running back slams up the middle. They're going to be closing the gap on that. So maybe that's why Howard stays inside, but you're not wrong. I mean, not having two straight weeks of practice with Tunsil and Howard, on that left side, not really knowing what to make of Cannon and Heck potentially taking over that right side with Cannon taking that right guard position over Max Sharping, not really knowing what you have outside of Justin Britt at the center position. Those are a lot of concerns, especially for a quarterback that does not know his situation. We don't really know what to make of Tyrod Taylor. He's played a grand total of five drives this entire uh, six drives this entire season. That's something that is a little concerning. The wide receivers are trying to build a rapport with them. This is an offense that I know feels its strength is in the running game, but the running game only works if you have a stable offensive line. And right now, Houston's offensive line, just it's in shambles, but it's not their fault. It's due to COVID. Yeah, that, 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 I think that's going to be the number one concern with this offense is if you can't balance your attack out and run the ball well, and if you've not got you know consistency, guys getting reps, um, then I think you know this, this team could be in a lot of trouble because if they're dropping back, um, you know, and I do think as a whole, as a unit, we saw, you know, from the from the three returning guys at the five, that you know, the, 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 there was a clear strength towards pass sets and there was run 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 fits. But um yeah, I think they'll need to find their identity this week. And it's probably not not the not the not the best run defense you can go against, but I think it'll be definitely be a test as well. Obviously, there's the there's the uh, the signing of Joey Sly and, and potentially, you know, they're not sure if Fairburn can go. So that's something to watch this week as well. Uh, Lonnie Johnson was held out of practice again so uh, yesterday. So it's, again, something to watch. Um, it looked like he was probably going to be third on the safety depth chart. But, you know, beyond the uh, the, the rush of the of the Texans' offense, what do you think are the keys to this game, Cole? And what, what were, the, were the key battlegrounds that they're going to have to show up in a way that... Uh, that we don't know that, that you know that will have to be counted for because there was too many parts of this team last year that just didn't show up on a Sunday and it, it was uh, it was an uphill battle. Well, I think for starters, you got to win in the passing game. This is a brand new defensive style, a new defensive scheme, and a lot of new defensive players for the likes of Jacksonville. I mean, you added in the Neil Griffin to be now your number one cornerback over the likes of CJ Henderson, who's missed part of preseason due to personal reasons. Andre Cisco now playing your free safety role, the third round pick out of Syracuse. So you're going to be able to attack and find the holes and the issues that fall, that fall in Jacksonville's secondary. You got to be able to find that number one receiver. Is it going to be Brandon Cooks? Is it going to be Chris Conley? Is it going to be Anthony Miller in the slot? Is it going to be one of the tight ends? Farrell uh, Brown, Jordan Akins, Brevin Jordan. Which one of these guys is going to step up and be able to consistently move the ball on third down? You got to remember that this is also a team that features two names, two very prominent names in the organization that come from very run dynamic clock controlling offenses with David Culley coming from Baltimore and Nick Casario coming from New England. They love to control the clock. They love to be able to complete third down efficiencies. They are high on those statuses. These are two of the teams that have been more stable on a third down than ever. 
But the only way you can is if you mix things up. When you run it seven straight times in a row, the defense is going to be expecting a run play. Instead, on that play, you got to be able to try and extend it deep. You got to be able to see if you can connect with the Brandon Cooks downfield, if Anthony Miller can get you on a third and seven, if Chris Conley can be your possessional receiver. Those are some things I'm looking forward to. And then again, I think you kind of alluded to it. Pass protection. I know Tyrod Taylor can move. I know Tyrod Taylor has been shown that he can get outside the pocket. That does not mean that he is a mobile quarterback. He is not that same T-Mobile guy that we saw during his time in Buffalo. He is more of a guy that just evades pressure and then tries to get the ball. More importantly, I want to see Tyrod be able to sling it. One of the biggest things and one of the biggest knocks I've had against him in this quarterback battle between him and Davis Mills is Mills throws a better deep ball. Mills is able to connect way downfield on, on, on 20, 25 yards. But he's not better in the short game, which is why you have probably Tyrod Taylor starting week one. But you got to be able to see him get the plays downfield. You got to be able to see him extend plays with his arm. And those are some things I think are going to be very questionable. But I think that if they can work, this is a team that has a brand new head coach who's never coached at the NFL level. This is a team with a rookie quarterback who has never seen really first uh, first team defensive snaps. This is a team that has questions on offense as well. Houston actually can end the conversation of will we go defeated all season with a good game plan. This is a veteran roster. There are players on this team who have been in actual live NFL. You should be able to at least make things interesting. But if you can't establish a pass protection, if you can't establish the passing game, and if you can't control the clock, those are all things that I think definitely Houston should be able to do. And if they can't, this is going to be a long season. Jacksonville is one of these games that's lobbed up for you to take an advantage and start the year off 1-0. You're not going to get that against Cleveland. You're not going to get that against Carolina. You're certainly not going to get that, get that against New England and several other teams down the line. So I do think when you look at this, if you cannot get that, boy, strap in Texans fans. It's going to be not a season that is going to be met with a lot of promise and a lot of potential. Well, that's it. I think because you have, I don't know if you cast your mind back to the 2017 opener. And everybody knew that offseason, right? That, that offensive line was not going to be good. You know, Julian Davenport and uh, and Kendall Lamb stick kicking out there. And everybody knew it. And it was kind of coming. And I think, you know, people kind of get caught up in preseason and you give a lot of fool's gold and, and things can happen. And then I think Jacksonville walk out with 10 sacks that day. They, you know, they bulldozed the line. The defense pretty much made it over as a contest at halftime. Um, and you can get caught short, you know, and I think we would be caught short, you know, the Brian Hoyer getting hooked week one um, against the Kansas City Chiefs as well. You know, you've seen teams come out and not be ready to play when you think they might be. Um, do you think, can you foresee any shocks in this team? Because I, I, is, is there any is there anything that people have kind of bought into you can see might not necessarily be there? Because, you know, we hope to be pleasantly surprised um, and be steady and be and be a scrappy unit and be semi-efficient, you know, on offense and and do enough on defense. But is there anything you think, you know, that, you know, people might have bought into a little bit too much this offseason? You know, it, there's one thing I will say. I, I do think that even though they were doing it against second teamers, I do believe that this defense will have more turnovers than you saw in 2020. This was a team yeah, yeah. with three interceptions. They only finished with nine total turnovers. I think of the pass rush with the new 4-3 system that Lovey Smith has implemented is going to pay off for a lot of these guys who are playing out of space. Ross Blacklock, who was playing more of a five technique, opposite of J.J. Watt, looks a lot stronger playing more of a one-gap three tech. When you look at Charles Amenecue, he looks a lot better playing with his hand in the dirt than a standing linebacker. You look at Jacob Martin, he looks a lot better in the pass rush. You look at guys like Zach Cunningham are going to be able to play more of just a space role. He looks better. I think the secondary looks a lot better. 
I think because of their playing in this new formation and players are kind of finding their niche in a better system, they're going to be better. They're going to be able to add more pressure. They're going to be able to put quarterbacks into, into conversations to where they could have a lot of turnovers. I, I could definitely see them getting at least 15 to 16, if not maybe even 20 on the year. I, I do think that even though the secondary is easily the weakest point of the defense, they have some key playmakers. I mean, Lonnie Johnson, every single day in practice, is making an interception here and there. Maybe that says more about the Texans' offense than that's the defense, but it is saying that he is able to make plays. Justin Reed is making plays. Terrence Mar uh, Mitchell is making plays. Bradley Roby is making plays. So I could see them at least finishing with double the amount of interceptions, so six to seven interceptions. And I believe that they will finish with at least 25 sacks and probably a handful of fumbles and fumble, forced fumbles and fumble recoveries. I, I would say right now, if the line was to be at like 12, I would take the over on turnovers. I could see them getting about 15 to 18 on the year, which would be a really big influence from what happened a year ago. Yeah, well, it, it was a historical low, I think, and it just never turned the tide in your favour in games. And I suppose, you know, we won't get five or six probably when you're playing against the ones. There's going to be less mistakes because turnovers rely on a lot of, you know, your opposition's errors and you've got to capitalise on them and some can be forced. But, yeah, I think this defence has got to be the big question, I think. Can you, you know, can you stop the run and in, 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 in an efficient manner that forces the pass and, you know, forces third and long, third and medium where you can you can set up obvious passing downs and then you can go and you you know attack the attack the play rather than playing prevent you know that we saw a lot under Romeo Cornell but I think that's probably the concern for me I think and I think you'll get a, a you know you'll have some familiar faces and and uh, Carlos Hyde and in, in the backfield maybe Duke Johnson gets knocked up in the practice squad but he just signed this week so you know quite strange how you seen your your two your two one number one and number two running back from a couple of years ago visiting um you know just a couple of seasons later but I think when you you know what Trevor Lawrence has got and if the pass rush doesn't get home and this will go for any quarterback but you know there's a there's an ability there that's probably regardless of him not playing an NFL snap he will be able to find passes and he, and he can and he can throw outside the numbers at a high level already, it's just whether he's piecing all the mental and processing game um, part of it, which is the big learning curve for all people that, you know, at this level, the game's that little bit faster. But when you come up against guys like that, who can go and find, you know, deep balls and 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 and, and move the chains consistently against guys that can't necessarily cover just because they've not got the ability. And again, you know, you think for Vernon Hargreaves, you know, he might be out there. Um, I hope, like what you said earlier, Cole, that it is in fact King knocks it to the outside, and you and you maybe play Eric Murray. If, if if Lonnie's fit, you can play Eric Murray in the slot. I think that's probably a better, a better, um, a better composition of, of the backfield um, or your defensive backfield than, than than potentially Vernon Hargreaves out there. But I think that the biggest challenge for this team is if the if the pass defense lets them down and gives golfs and br brings up variances in the score I just don't think our offense will be quick a quick fire have enough gear to go and put up quick scores to keep you in games and I think that's where we could struggle I think potentially this season and, and Trevor Lawrence with with these cast of guys that he's got there um I don't know if CJ Shark will be ready to go but you know I think there is a chance that they can knock up some scores and and when you're chasing I don't think this team's built to chase games that's for sure no, what I will say is if they want to win this game and slow down Trevor Lawrence, they got to cover Leviticus and all. I, I think that he is going to have a breakout year. I really like him in the slot. I like these gadget-type players, these Curtis Samuels, these Leviticus and all, these um, Kadarius Tonys, these type of guys. You can play a little bit of everything. Do, a, do some things in the run. Get some counters. Get some jet sweeps. Do all that. So Desmond, if he is playing in the nickel, he is going to be in for a big day. Rookie quarterbacks love to target two positions more than anything else your slot receiver, and your tight end. They don't really have a stable tight end option, so Lavishka Sonault is going to see a ton of reps 
especially on third down, to keep the clock moving, keep the chains alive, get a new fresh set of downs. I expect that to be the key matchup. I am circling Desmond King, number 25 versus number 10. If you can slow down number 10 and go throw the ball to DJ Chark, who he does not have a rapport with. He's missed most of the preseason. He hasn't been. He's been dealing with the hamstring injury, going into a contract year. Little things like that, I do think, are going to help Houston a long way. So, again, you look at the history of, of teams trying to rapport and get that confidence week one. Tight ends and slot receivers are the go-to targets. You eliminate the slot receiver target and force him to go deep. It may not matter that you have to play Vernon Hargraves out there. It may not matter that you have to play a Terrence Mitchell, who has probably been better as a cornerback number four instead of a cornerback number two. None of those things really matter because if it is a rookie quarterback to a first-team defense, those are some keys I take away. Take out the slot, take out the tight end. You're going to be in a pretty good spot, I think, overall on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I suppose the concern you saw it slightly with Brady was just going hurry up, I think, because obviously Lovely Smith and the key to this pass rush is going to be, you know, continuing to substitute and rotate guys up front, keep guys fresh, because you've not got a game break breaker. And I think if they do go hurry up and avoid, you know, and and, and avoid or, or inhibit their ability to make subs up front, then I think that could be could be a key to the game if they can keep churning the ball, I think. So that's got to be a concern um for us and you've got to hope the team get off to a good start because i think my concern probably is when you consider this hellish off season we've had with all the stuff that's going on you still got the jack easter revives you know kind of hanging around they'll be interesting to see if he gets some airtime uh because he's got a habit of doing it um high-fiving and what have you um if this team gets behind early um and i i, I had a look earlier there's still a fair amount of tickets you can buy um single game seats um, what the atmosphere could be like um, and what the attendance might be as well. And I think this, you know, as you said, it's an acid test against a team who had the number one overall pick this year. And if you, if you come up and you start badly and you show short against them, then, you know, you've got, as you said earlier, potentially kind of a long road ahead for this 21 season. You had a very long road ahead. I've heard people compare this to the 2002 expansion team and them saying that potentially even the expansion team was better than this roster. I don't believe that for one second. I believe this roster is a thousand percent better than the expansion team in 2002, but that is not really setting things up much better. That is not really a kind of, that's more so an insult to that 2002 team that entered the NFL with David Carr and basically gave him as the sacrificial lamb to be killed every single snap behind that putrid offensive line. But I don't think you're that far off. I mean, remember 2017 when they decided not to start Deshaun Watson, they elected to go with Tom Savage for the quarter. And things got bad. I mean, this was a similar Jacksonville team. They had Jalen Ramsey coming off of a rookie, uh, you know, a defensive rookie of the year type performance. And he basically said during that, uh, during the post game, uh, during the post game, I don't, be- I can't believe that they didn't start Deshaun Watson. That was the dumbest thing that they made. This is, this is why this is a last place team. This is why a last place team. If you were able to get things, you were unable, you're consistently happy. If Tyrod is not the answer, there are so many flaws left and right. There's a lot of concern. I mean, there is a lot of concern. And I do think that when you do look at the season ticket holders, you're going to start seeing fans head to back to the post game, head to the tailgate by halftime. And it's going to be a very quiet crowd board because of, again, you're paying, you're getting the buck. You probably have a better shot of having a grand old time watching the game, potentially on the outside with friends, enjoying a nice cold beer out yourself and spending money to watch this team really really, really struggle in 2021. And I do think if you are struggling against Jacksonville, you're going to struggle against New England. You're going to struggle against uh, teams like even the New York Jets. You're going to struggle against teams like the 49ers late in the season. 
And it's going to be a year that you really look back and go, what did we do right? Because if we know exactly what we did wrong, and boy, we did a ton of things wrong. Well, that's it. I think even in the good times, the 12 noon kickoffs had a, you know, had a, a, a president set there with Philip Slow. Um, and, you know, and not everybody would make their way to the seat. And, you know, it could be quiet if it's not going well early. Um, having said that, obviously, we, we hope for better better performance than than uh, than one that would create a reaction like that. And the stands, you got, do you have a, a feeling for the game? I'm not big for predictions, but do you have a feeling how this one will, will pan out? Yeah, I, I, I think if Houston walks away with an early score, if they're able to be leading by halftime, whether it be three points, whether it be by a touchdown, they're going to be able to control the clock. I do think that part of the reason why Urban Meyer is going to struggle is he's never coached in an NFL game, ever, at any level. So he has been a college guy. He is a college straight guy. College and the NFL are completely different. And you may be able to have good coordinators, guys who have been there like Darren Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer. You may be able to have those guys who have made an impact on their respective teams. That doesn't mean you as the head coach understand all the ins and outs of coaching at the NFL level, controlling the clock when to take timeouts, when to challenge plays. You are not at that level just yet. So if they're able to take a halftime lead, three, seven, 14 points, I think Houston walks away with a win. If they're playing catch-up through the entire second half, you're in for trouble. I think at that point, it's all about who controls the clock. If Jacksonville controls the clock, they're walking away 1-0. If it's Houston controlling the clock, they're walking away 1-0. Yeah, I think you're right. It's ball control and ball retention for this team is going to be massive because you can't – you, you can't put that on this defence because I just don't think it can hold up on the back end. So, yeah, no, thank you very much um, for your time, Cole. Hopefully we'll get a good start to the season. Um, it's going to be a long old one, but we've got to embrace it um, for the better times that may come ahead. But as we said, we're trying to find some irons in the fire here um, for future years. And this might just be one small step towards that. And I think that's how we've got to view each game every week but thank you very much for Cole for his time joining us this week uh, we'll be back next week to review hopefully a Texans victory going 1-0 to start off this 2021 season but thanks again for listening if you haven't already check us out on podcasttexans.com if you're liking or watching on YouTube rather give us a like give us a subscribe um, and we'll be back again next week